0: Good Sunday morning, Chapel Royals. Well, happy anniversary. My name is Joe McKechnie, and I'm so blessed to be the pastor here at Chapel Roswell, and it's an honor to be in worship with each and every one of you this morning. I'm going to read our scripture this morning, then we'll kind of dive a little bit deeper into it in a matter of mere moments. But our scripture comes from the New Testament book of Philippians. Like I said, we'll look more closely at it in just a moment. But go ahead and hear these words about our Christian journey. Philippians 3, verse 13 and 14. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What does this mean? How does it relate to your life and my life on this beautiful Sunday morning? Will you pray with me? Well, good morning, gracious God. I Thank you for leading each of us here to this place this morning. May we truly sense the peace and the hope and the joy that can only come from you. Lord God, open our hearts and our minds and our spirits, allowing us to hear your word. And Lord God, may we pursue that claim and that calling that you have placed upon each of our lives. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for first loving us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Well, friends, if you're a football fan, and and most of you certainly know who I am, who is this guy up on the big screen? Any Alabama fans, by the way? Okay. well, a handful of you, and pretty vocal at that. Um, I'm not endorsing Alabama with this story, but that is Paul Bear Bryant, the legendary football coach at the University of Alabama. Now, he was seemingly larger than life. He earned his nickname when he was 14 years old. There was a traveling carnival coming through his hometown, and he wrestled a bear survive. That's pretty cool. The following year he tried out for the high school football team. He had never seen football before. He played in the very first football game that he had ever seen and he developed into this hard-nosed physical player. He earned a scholarship to the University of Alabama where he demonstrated his toughness by playing a game with a broken leg. That's kind of tough, isn't it? Now, in 1937, when he was playing, Alabama played in the Rose Bowl out in Pasadena, California, and Bear Bryant actually had a screen test with Paramount Studios to become an actor. He was offered a contract to be an actor, but his wife refused to move to California. So Bear Bryant followed his desire to be a college coach, and in 1958, he accepted the call, the challenge, to coach at Alabama, where he would be a fixture for 25 years. During the 1960s and the 1970s, no college team won more games than Alabama. In his first nine years, in fact, on the job at the helm of the football program at Alabama, his team won three national championships and experienced un paralleled success. Now, as you know, I'm a proud graduate of the University of Georgia, so it actually is very difficult, difficult for me, almost like sacrilegious to talk about an Alabama guy this glowingly. But there is a cool point to this story, I promise, okay? In the 60s, no team had achieved such success at Alabama. But later on in his career, as we approached the end of the 1960s, his team had a couple of really rough years. In fact, finished two seasons in a row unranked at all a lot of the fans actually were calling for him to step down despite the fact that he was a legend in their eyes they felt like the 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 new passing game of that era or the wishbone of that era had kind of passed him by maybe Bear Bryant has lost his touch even Baer was frustrated with his team's performance. In January of 1969, he was offered a job to be, the head football, or to be the head coach of the Miami Dolphins. He accepted the job, but then he turned it down at the last minute. They ended up getting a guy named Don Chula. I don't know what happened to him, probably did okay there. <laughs> but he quickly had a change of heart, like I said, stayed at Alabama, but he realized that things had to change. Okay, they were headed big time towards mediocrity, and that, that's not good. His current course was no longer the way he needed to move forward. So in 1971, he began a complete overhaul of the Alabama football team. He he, he, uh, banned journalists from being into some of their practices before that season. He studied what other newer, more uh, updated coaches were doing at that time, and he changed their complete offense, switching from the more traditional style that he ran to the newly developed wishbone. That major revolution, that transformation propelled the once proud Crimson Tide back into the national spotlight. They won, in the span of nine years, eight SEC titles, three more national championships. Bear Bryant, he certainly could have rested on his laurels, but he saw things passing him by. He could have fought the call to change. But you see, his desire to grow was greater than his will to stay the same. Can I say that about my life? Can I say that, friends, about your life this Sunday morning? The desire to grow is greater than the will to stay the same. Friends, this morning, we celebrate the fact that we are together a part of something special, something literally with an eternal impact. The the ministry, the stuff, the things, the relationships, the passion, the power of what we're doing in here literally one day will make heaven more crowded. This morning we celebrate the fourth anniversary of Chapel Roswell. It was the desire to find new ways to, 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 to reach a changing culture. As we say, we are a modern expression of a historic faith. Four years ago, when Chapel Roswell started, a good friend of mine, Eric Lee, was the pastor of Chapel Roswell. He's been a dear friend of mine for a decade. In fact, we're a part of a small group. Before I was here, before he was, kind of everybody, all of our guys, we kind of moved around. But um, we would meet every Tuesday morning for breakfast in Canton. There were five of us. And even before Chapel Roswell had its official first service, Eric had invited all of us to come out here to... Roswell UMC to the chapel to see the renovations that were going on it was fun to see his passion for this ministry that would take place like I said a few months before the launch all of us were in here we were seeing uh, the renovations maybe some of the changes or the tweaks to this historic chapel and there just had this passion to reach a community uh, consisting of many people who had no church experience or maybe they were turned off by something that happened within the church he was passionate about creating an environment that would be both inviting and passionate especially to those who aren't involved in the church and at the time little did I know as I walked through this beautiful facility that one day I would be blessed to be here maybe some of you can say the same thing that maybe your first time here little did you know that you would be wooed back by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the grace of God, by the wooing of a loving creator, you are a part of something incredibly special that we can look back and we can see the mighty things that God has done through Chapel Roswell. And you know what? We know that the same God who brought us here is still at work and truly the sky is the limit to what God can accomplish through this congregation and truthfully through each and every one of you. So we look back in celebration. We look back to commemorate all the things that are going on, all the while gazing into the future to see the incredible things that are yet to come. The, model, uh, or the motto of Chapel Roswell is life and faith in the round. We are in the round this morning, literally, but the round also indicates our shared life and our faith. We're called to be a place of connection and a place of faith. Chapel Roswell is a church within a church at Roswell United Methodist Church. This new movement in a historic church is the product of a large established congregation with, with their desire to find new ways to reach future generations. Now, our scripture that we're going to look at this morning... It offers God's assurance as we do gaze into the future, as we look forward to what God has in store for us. Now, let me give you a little bit of a backstory to the passage this morning. We're going to the book of Philippians. Paul was writing this letter while he was in prison. He was writing this letter to the Christians in the city of Philippi. Philippi was a, a proud and a wealthy city. It was named after Philip, who was the father of Alexander the Great. Years earlier, Paul had traveled to Philippi. He started the Christian church there. In fact, it was the very first church established on the European continent. Philippi was in what is now modern-day Greece. And so in this passage, Paul is speaking about the Christian life. Your life and my life as followers of Christ, as pursuers... Of God. Here are these words that he wrote Philippians 3 13 and 14. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. In other words, he's a, he's a work in progress, just as you are, just as I am. But one thing I do, he declares, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. He says that I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Jesus Christ. Uh, You see, Paul is painting the picture of a runner who's running this race. When we're in a race, we don't want to look back. That, That would slow us down. Now, the New Testament, it was originally written in Greek. The Greek word for race is agon. Turn to your neighbor and say agon. Some of you, you're learning Greek this morning. That's awesome. The word is agon, from which we get the word agony. For some of us, running a long race might seem agonizing. But in this case, agony doesn't refer to pain or suffering. It refers to endurance and perseverance. The necessity to push forward, even when it seems so difficult to do that. The necessity to push forward despite the obstacles that we may encounter. And so Paul is telling us that in the Christian life, it's like a marathon and not a sprint. That God is calling us to focus on the race and not getting bogged down. By the past. Yeah, we can look back and we can celebrate. We can look back and, and see the presence and the fingerprints of God. But this is a powerful declaration, uh, not to look back, but, but to look forward. Because the truth is, I, I can't speak for you, but I know in my life at times I have let my past dictate the future. Maybe we, got, we get uh, maybe bogged down by, by mistakes of the past or the the sin of the past, or maybe the failures of the past. Or maybe really, like Paul, we could easily get distracted by our achievements. Now, Paul is not saying that, that, like I said, we we don't ignore the past. Uh, To the contrary, the, the previous section in Philippians before these two verses, Paul actually does look back on his life, and he speaks of how God has brought him through those times, putting him on the path for the Christian journey. Our past will feature mistakes from which we'll grow, I hope. Our past, maybe we can see the ways in which God's fingerprints are all dripping over the ways in which God called us into a relationship with him and the ways in which God is calling us forward. Maybe in some cases we can look back and we can see the ways in which God has been at work even long before we ever understood it or experienced it. You see, before Paul was a follower of Jesus, he was a a well-educated Jewish, highly regarded Pharisee. You see, Christ saved him, and God's power changed him. And so Paul is urging us to keep our eyes on that that eternal prize while recognizing the power of Christ in our lives right here and right now. You see, God wipes away the, the sin and the shame of our past, giving us a new identity that now is no longer based on accomplishment or failure in this world. And Paul's words, they bring about hope and assurance in a culture where we often feel so defined by what the world says about us. Now, Paul didn't mean that he refused to remember things that had happened to him in the past. That might include failures and also successes, but he's reminding himself and reminding us He can't rest on his pedigree or his history or his heritage. And likewise, he's reminding himself that in a life with Christ, our race is going to be different. I can't speak for you again, but friends, I know in my life, my goodness, at times, I have been caught up in that proverbial rat race trying to chase those things that I think will bring success, those things that I think will bring happiness, but you know what, they, they didn't. During my time as a television sportscaster, I'd achieved a lot of things as far as my career goals were concerned, but you know what, in the midst of that, I still lacked joy. I honestly still lacked purpose. And I remember thinking one day, you know, God, I, I've worked really hard to get to this point, for as long as I can remember, everything I've done has, has sought to propel me to where I am here and now. But you know what, God, I, I just feel this lack of purpose, this lack of fulfillment. But, but now, years later, I can look back and I can see how God was calling me into a, a life of a full-time vocational ministry. You know what, I honestly ignored that call for so long. Because honestly, it was too uncomfortable, and honestly, it was too scary. But here's some good news. God is a patient God. God is a loving God. He pursues us. Okay, Joe, God is saying, okay, you don't have to act now or forever lose this calling. Like I said, God is patient. God is pursuing and see, God's grace was wooing me into a closer connection with Him. He continued to, to chase after me even when I didn't want to be chased. He opened my mind and my heart to the future that He wanted to have with Christ. And now I, I can look back and I can see His patience and I can see the love that He poured out upon my life. And the truth is, God has a purpose for each and every one of us. Now, God is not certainly calling everyone to be a a full-time vocational ministry. He's not calling everyone to be a, a worship leader or a missionary or a Sunday school teacher, but God is calling each and every one of us to find our purpose in Christ and not apart from him. Truthfully, I look back and in my life, I was pursuing things that they weren't bad. They certainly weren't sinful, but by finding my identity in my accomplishments and in my status, I was ignoring the race that God had set out before me. Your race will look different than my race. My race before Christ looks a lot different than my race now with Christ, and the truth is that if we don't allow God to define us, the world would love to. If we don't get our identity through Christ, the world is happy to do it for us. You see, in my own life, I was caught up in a myth, okay? This myth that that certain achievements or certain things would bring about happiness and purpose, At times, I was succumbing to the myth that my walk with God is about me trying harder or striving to be a better person. But that's a huge myth. It doesn't sound like it, but it really is according to the gospel. You see, our faith is about realizing and accepting the gift of God's grace. Now, now granted, once we're on that journey, on that new race with Christ, our, our actions should certainly reflect the presence of Jesus in our life. But our faith is not something that we can achieve or earn. It's not based on our works. Our faith is not based on what we do. It's about what Christ has already done and what God is still doing. So in my life, I've fallen victim to some of those myths, some of those things that the world will throw at us. Now, as we gather today and we, we celebrate, I, I need you to help me out with something, okay? I mentioned the myths that very often I found myself pursuing. And I'm going to give you, I'm going to throw out eight statements. Okay, some are true, some are false... I want you to give me your thoughts on these things, okay? So I'm going to read this, this statement, and I want you to raise your hand if you think it's true. After that, I'll ask you to raise your hand if you think it's false. Uh, now let me share something with you, okay? I, I've been in church a long time, and I know that when I ask people to raise their hand, I don't know how many hundreds of people we have today, but, but like five will raise their hand, okay? I know we have more people than that. So really be honest with us, okay? And I pray that God will work through this. Okay, here is myth number one, is it true or is it false? The Great Wall of China can be seen from outer space. The Great Wall of China can be seen from outer space. Who says it's true? Who says it's false? It is false. Here we go. Question number two, bulls. Bulls, those big mighty animals. Bulls hate the color red. True? False? Anybody asleep? I guess don't raise your hand for that. Uh, The answer is false. Bulls are angered by the threat posed by the matador and not by the color itself. Experiments have demonstrated the fact that bulls will really charge at anything that moves fast and erratically regardless of what color it is. Question number three, true or false? False. Flushed water in a toilet in the southern hemisphere will circle in the opposite direction than it does here. I know you guys have pondered that, haven't you? How many of you say that's true? How many of you say it's false? The answer is false. The the Coriolis effect, which is some sort of scientific, smart guy kind of stuff, it it does influence large air masses and things like that, but it has absolutely no effect on the direction of your drain at home. Question number four. Don't let your wife or your husband answer this question for you, okay? We use, as humans, only 10% of our brain. We use only 10% of our brain. True? False? False. In fact, during the course of a normal day, 100% of your brain is chugging away at one time or another. Maybe not all at the same time, but someday during the course of the day. Question five, and they get better, I promise. Bats, okay, those animals, bats, they are blind. True? False? The answer is false. They can't see color, but they can see better than you can and I can. Bats have eyes, they can see just fine. Now objects become blurry when they're flying at high speeds. So bats they use this sonar sense in addition to their eyes to rectify and improve their clarity of vision. Question number 6. If you touch a baby bird, its mother will abandon it. If you touch a baby bird, its mother will abandon it. True. False. The answer is false. According to ornithologists, that's an eye doctor, isn't it? Uh, No, it's actually a bird doctor. Birds don't have an evolutionized sense of smell. They can't smell any human scent on their babies, and they don't abandon them if a human touches their little ones. In fact, birds are quite devoted to their children, and they are not easily deterred from taking care of them. Question seven, chameleons, those little animals, chameleons, they change colors to blend into their surroundings. Chameleons change colors to blend into their surroundings. True? False? The answer is false. It's common knowledge that chameleons change colors, but the reason is not because they're trying to hide from their enemies. The primary reason they change colors are to regulate their temperature and to communicate with other chameleons. They can't change in a wide array of colors. It's kind of limited on what they can do. Also, chameleons are really fast. Many can run up to 21 miles an hour and they can avoid most predators pretty easily. Question number eight this is our final question. Okay, this can be a good one. Sugar in children, sugar in children, relates to hyperactivity. Sugar equals hyperactivity, true? Yeah, I think you guys are catching on to a pattern here, aren't you? (laughs) How many say false? Despite what your mama may have told you, no correlation at all. Studies have shown that there is no substantial evidence They can link sugar to hyperactivity in children. In fact, in 1982, the National Institute of Health announced that there was no correlation at all between sugar and hyperactivity. Other studies since then have proven the same thing, but that myth still persists. And think about it. It's due to the fact that very often, like at a birthday party or or Halloween or or something like that, kids eat and they digest a a lot of sugar, and then they get kind of hyper but it's not because of the sugar, it's because they're at, a, at their friend's house, they're in an environment where they're getting overstimulated or excited. And now, with that said, sugar obviously uh, can ha- have some, some harmful uh, health effects on you, you want to be careful how much sugar you eat, but the science has shown that there's no correlation between sugar and hyperactivity. Okay, we're done. Okay, I, I threw these out at you because these are popular and common myths. We, we dispelled each and every one of those. But the truth is, very often, you and I, we succumb, we are victims to one of the biggest myths of all, that success in the eyes of the world, success in the eyes of the world, will bring about happiness and hope. Trust me, that, that, that's a myth. Okay, trust me, I, I've tried to live out that way in my life but, but you know what friends it, it led and it still leads to restlessness i was living the so-called good life as far as society was concerned but it still felt like something was missing if i look a certain way i'll be okay if i have a certain job or a salary i'll have a lot of joy if i live in the right neighborhood i will finally feel like i have arrived If I have the right clothes or the right car or the right stuff, then I'm going to be happy. Friends, those are mess. And that's what Paul's talking about in our scripture this morning, that we have to move forward with what God has in store for us. Am I pursuing the life that God has in store for me or am I simply holding on to what I've already got? You see, friends, at at Chapel Roswell, we understand that in this Christian journey, we need connection and we need community. That's why we place a a special emphasis on small groups that that meet at various times throughout the week. These are are opportunities to do life with one another, to dig deeper into God's promises, digging deeper into God's word in an emotionally and spiritually safe environment. Over the next few weeks, in fact, we'll talk more about these various small groups. In fact, outside, we have a table that provides more information about these small groups. I I invite you, maybe even challenge you, to to stop by out there to, to see a list, to see a schedule of some of the groups that are already going on. We've been encouraging you also to invite friends to chaparazel, to invite family or neighbors or friends to worship with us. And and many of you may have done that this morning. And if you have, okay, we've got a little gift for you. After we we wrap up here in a matter of a, a few moments, I invite you to check out the connection desk that's right through those doors. And if you brought friends or you are a friend of somebody who was invited this morning, we're going to give you a token that's good for free coffee or whatever else you want at the RUMC Coffee House, which is just a couple blocks that way. This afternoon, we invite you to stick around for some awesome food. It's going to be a memorable afternoon. Chapel Roswell has seen a memorable four years. In this passage, Paul is writing to believers, uh, fellow followers of Christ. He's urging us to remember that in this marathon that is the Christian life, God is always with us. He's urging us to remember that God is always present. God is always at work. And truthfully, I believe that God has more blessings than we ever thought possible. That God brings about at times maybe more challenges than we may have ever wanted. That God offers more healing than you ever thought you needed. That God surrounds you with people who will love you not because of your accomplishments but because of God's presence in their lives. That God calls us to things that may force us to, to have to step out of our comfort zone. That God wants you to partner with him to make an eternal impact in this world and in those lives with whom you have a sphere of influence. That God wants to remind you that just because you might be right where you need right here today, that doesn't mean where God wants you to be tomorrow. That God still has work to do in you, with you, and through you. Are you letting him? Once you say yes to Jesus, you experience a new beginning, a a fresh start. And friends, as your pastor, as someone who loves you and wants the best for you, I pray that we are in this marathon, in this journey for the long haul, that together we can come alongside each other in the race that Paul is writing about. Finally, my dad has an antique car. It's a 1928 Model A Ford. He bought it, it was battered. Beaten up, haven't run, and hasn't run in decades. It was old. It was desperately in need of so many different repairs. And, and you know what? My dad, he spent a lot of time working on that thing, fixing it up. He, he actually restored it. It was a long and it was an arduous process. But over time, you could begin to see a difference. It started honestly looking really good. It started even to run after a while. It's now in pristine condition, and whenever he drives it in the streets of West Cobb County, it turns a lot of heads. He restored this, call, this car into to something magnificent. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it provides some great news for you and for me today. If any man is in Christ or any woman is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. If you've said yes to Jesus, you are a new creation. It doesn't say that you're a restored creation. It says you are a new creation, not bandaged up, not stitched up, but a new creation. We're not like an old car that has been repaired or restored. We become, through Jesus, a new creation. The old has gone, your past no longer defines you, but it prepares you. So this morning, as we celebrate the fourth year anniversary of Chapel Rosal, a ministry that continues to lead to life, lives being transformed. Together, we are making a difference in our community, making a, a difference in this world. We're making a difference in the lives of individuals and families and marriages we're making a difference in the ways in which lives are being lived out, in the ways in which we experience the mighty love of a mighty God. I'm honored to be a part of Chapel Roswell and I am proud of you guys. I'm grateful for those who have come before us who felt God's call to start such a powerful and an eternal ministry. I'm excited about the the next season for the future that God has mapped out for us at Chapel Roswell and also for your life and for mine. And friends, I pray that each of you will look for and will notice and will appreciate the ways in which the Lord is transforming you, the scripture says, into the likeness of Jesus that you can see the ways in which God is stretching you and calling you to be more like Christ. I I pray that your spouse or your children or your parents or your coworkers or your neighbors will see that you are becoming more and more like Jesus. That that maybe we've said yes to Christ in terms of his grace and his death and his resurrection and the offer of salvation that only he can provide. But, But how have we been saying yes to Christ since then? Friends, each day, you and I have the opportunity to say yes to Christ, to say yes to that race that God has prepared before us, or yes to something else. Which one are you pursuing? Friends, let me pray for you. Dear most loving and gracious God, we thank you for loving us so much that you sent Jesus into this hurting and broken and dark world to save us. Lord God, we ask that your Holy Spirit work within us, meeting us at the point of our deepest need. Allow us to rest in you. And Lord, reveal those areas in our lives in which maybe we haven't yet surrendered to you. Draw us closer to you, God. We thank you for the life-changing ministry that we know as Chapel Roswell. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of it. May we see the ways in which lives have been transformed by our time together and use us to make a difference in the life of our community, our world, and the individual lives of those with whom we come into contact. We rejoice, Lord, in the scripture that declares that you are molding us into the likeness, into the image of Jesus, allowing us to see the ways in which you want to change us. Help us to understand that this isn't about us trying harder. It's not about us striving, but rather it's about us surrendering to you and accepting the free grace that can only come from and through Christ. And Heavenly Father, as we come to the end of our time together this morning, we we thank you for anything that may have been accomplished here today. May the matters discussed serve as a catalyst to move us forward, to cause us to advance and see growth in all areas of our lives. Strengthen each of us for this journey, for the race that Scripture describes. And Lord God, may we leave here recognizing that you are the God of all wisdom, that you are the God who is willing to lead us and to guide us. And we pray all of these things, Lord, in your name. Amen.